Hello and welcome to the Tizzy Wire podcast, episode nine. Thank you for tuning in and for listening to me again. I hope that you guys loved that last episode. It's awesome when I get to do interviews because I get so tired of hearing my voice (laughs) after a while. Um, But today we have even more special news because we finally get to interview the great and powerful Charles Davis. Yes, I am great and I am powerful. And he is my husband. And I am your husband, which (laughs) which is what makes me great and powerful. Keeping it in the family. Yep. That's what we're doing. All right. We are going to be interviewing Charles Davis and we're going to be talking about his movies Mm -hmm. because I always promised that in the very first episode, I said we were going to talk about Charles Davis movies too. Yes. And you told me we were talking about this uh, about 10 minutes ago while I was sitting on the couch watching YouTube videos. I thought you were going to say like the John. (laughs) While I was sitting on the John. Watching YouTube videos. (laughs) I'm still sitting on the John watching YouTube videos. Josie announced to me that (laughs) you wanted to do an interview with me about filmmaking. To be fair, I said that via text message before you got home. Uh, Oh, that's true. And I, as a good husband, completely forgot that you sent me a text message. That's not difficult at all. Nope. I'm a good husband. Here I am, plugging my husband, trying to get him some extra promotion yep. as he's got big things coming up, and he forgets. Yep. As I'm sorry. We need to expect that. Anyway, he is here. That is the most important thing. And he yes. is here, and he is live. Yes. And we are going to be talking about Chunkle Freakies. Chunkle Freakies. Movies, movies. Yep. Chunkle Freakies, movies. That's my uh, movie company, or the name I make movies under. Um, and, uh, I make, I make movies. I make movies. I make movies. It's very eloquent. (laughs) It wasn't really a question you asked me, just kind of a statement. Well, yes. Yes. I was making a statement about your company, which is called Chunkle Freaky's Movies. Yes. And it is a website. Yes, chunklefreaky.com. Where uh, Facebook is facebook.com slash chunklefreaky. Twitter is at chunklefreaky. Instagram is at chunklefreaky. Um... So we're a unique name, so not many people uh, had our name beforehand. This wasn't our original name. I can tell that story. You can tell that so story. So the original name before I uh, we made it into an LLC was Uncle Creepy's Movies. Um, everything okay? Yeah. I'm just checking our levels. You can get oh, a little okay. closer. Well, let me, let me, I'll get a little closer. How's that? Yeah, that's better. Is that a little better? Yeah. I don't want to overload it. Yeah. Okay. You can just watch the little light. Uh, I am. The light's okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um... Yeah, originally called Uncle Creepies, but when when I uh, briefly, but when I went to go make a comp, uh, company out of it, um, like a like a legal proper LLC, um, someone had already taken the name. I believe that was actually the guy from Dread Central, um, uh, who is no longer at Dread Central anymore, unfortunately. But um, so it was already like a famous guy had already taken the name, which of course because it's a common name. So we were trying to think of a different name, and my brother Aaron uh, came up with the idea of Chunkle Freaky because. Um, my nephew calls me Chunkle, thanks to my sister, because <laughs> Charles and Uncle, so Charles and Uncle together is Chunkle, so <laughs> Chunkle know. Freaky, that's that's where the name basically came from, was uh, uh, my brother uh, calling calling my company what uh, my nephew calls me. I so. think it's even better that way. Yeah, I, I was kind of didn't like it at first, but I've actually grown to me, I really like it a lot, because it's very, it does sound like a character. 
Yeah. You know, which is kind of what I, I, I like about it. You and know? different. Like it sounds like somebody's name as opposed to a title. It's like there's a person named Trunkle Freaky or something like that. And we have the, the face, the mascot, which you drew. Oh, I forgot I drew that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's sort of like the Trunkle Freaky face. So, yeah, I, I think know. it's better. It's better branding for yeah. me. Yes. I agree. And I think it's more suited to your personality. True. In general. Yep. yep. Also, yeah, because it's freaky too. We can kind of do anything. We don't have to just do horror movies because initially it was just horror movies, but now I'm doing sci-fi movies. Like, I just made a sci-fi movie. I think it's good to keep it general because, I mean, I think that opening it up to whatever you like to make. And I think Mm -hmm. we should talk about that a little bit, too, because I want to talk about Chunkle Freakies and the kinds of movies you're making, Mm -hmm. kind of where you got started, the types of movies you got making. Like, I mean, so many people out there have talked about making movies, I'm sure, at some point mm-hmm. in their lives, and they have no idea how to get started. They're like, do I have to go to film school? Do I? What kind of stuff do I need to have to make yep. this work? You you have to go to film school <laughs> at least for five years, and you have to have at least a $50,000 camera and a budget of $3 million. That's right? what I've discovered. And a Patreon page. And a Patreon page <laughs> with 1,000 uh, subscriptions. Um, no, I mean, you don't really need anything to make a movie, uh, particularly nowadays. Most people will tell you that. Um, it's, um, because, uh, distribute, I mean, if, if, uh, I'm always hesitant because I don't want to discourage people from going to film school or something like that, because obviously people who go to film school seem to have a much better, um, excuse me, I'm burping because I just drank a bunch of seltzer. Um, <laughs> Do certainly seem to have Great a timing. higher rate of success in breaking out in the Hollywood industry and stuff like that, right? Because you get connected. I think it's because you get the connections. You just, you know, how set, like, big professional sets work, things like that. But if the question is, do you, just to make a movie, regardless if you're going to be a hot shot or not, you don't really need uh, a formal education. You don't really need anything because um, uh, you don't need funding even really um, because, w- hence me, <laughs> um, because... Um, uh, filmmaking's actually become very cheap now uh, in the sense of um, uh, if you go digital, digital cameras, like an expensive digital camera these days is in between three to $6,000 as opposed to like, you know, $50,000 or $60,000 just for a camera, right? Yeah. And then and then because of digital, it's like, you know, your entire, your film stock is a little memory stick the size of your, you know, f- fingernail. And, uh, you know, that's that's all you need as opposed to, like, constantly buying film stock and things like that, having to get it processed and all that stuff. And then the, the editing equipment's like, you know, uh, you know, Adobe Premiere Suite Creative Cloud. It's like $50 a month or something. I can't remember the prices now, but something like that. And um, so based and even distribution with things like Amazon, uh, excuse me, they changed the name of it, but Amazon Prime Video Direct and Vimeo. And um, things like distributor.com and stuff like that, you can basically, I mean, Amazon video alone, you can just basically distribute all across the US, all across the UK, all across Japan, all across Germany and Austria for free, just completely free, right? So basically, you know, um, for a budget of $10,000 and under, you can, you can um, make a feature film, financially speaking, you know? So, um, so, so, I mean, to ask the questions like, what do you need to make a movie now? If your if your goal is to just make a movie because you want to make a movie, right? I can't tell. I can't. I'm not one to tell you really how to make a movie success successful because I never have. 
Like I've never made any money off of anything. I never, I don't, you know, nobody watches my stuff barely, but um, I have made movies. So if, if that's kind of your goal, I mean, the, the thing that sort of makes movies isn't really money anymore. It's willpower. Mm-hmm. So uh, just your willpower can get a movie made, uh, frankly. Um, uh, uh, getting the movie actually, uh, you know, watched and seen and and people excited about that's another story which i i'm still i have no idea i'm still trying to figure that out i i'm not very good at it i think the 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 point of the audience that that i'm trying to talk to during this podcast is really i mean most of us are not going to be top tier successful Mm. as far as traditional media the point really is about do you have something to say do you have a a in uh, something that you can't suppress within you mm-hmm. drive to create something and a mission to create something and to see it come to life mm-hmm. and maybe you've never done it before or maybe you have but you did it in a different way and you want to come up with a new medium or take your medium to the next level yeah there are so many people that i know that have said oh, it'd be really cool to do a documentary mm-hmm. or to or to put this vision that I have to life on film and I don't even know where to get started and I'm intimidated and I feel really just weird and out of my element with this idea. And I think that having something to say and having a vision for what you want to create is huge. And you have created so many movies, so many movies Mm. in such a short amount of time. Five movies, two radio dramas. But we're not talking about radio dramas. We're not we're talking, talking about, about that last week. Yeah, I know. And then <laughs> how many years? Um, I made my first movie uh, 2013. And these are eight-part radio dramas, by the way. Oh, the radio drama. No, the first radio drama was 2011. Right. Yeah. But we started doing that. And then that was... on top of that, you've had the five movies. Yeah. And that's since 2000. 13 i think it's 2013 yeah because yeah, it's been a movie that's when we a year. moved out here it's been yeah. a movie a year so five movies five years yeah most people can't do a movie a year <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but i mean and each one well they can you well, can do it you can do it yeah but i think that there's a lot of people out there who would like to do it and think it would take forever or not entirely sure yeah. what the process is going to be so i wanted to talk about the process mm-hmm. a little bit so your movies are very very weird i guess is the <gasps> best word no. to go by because i don't, don't want to say scary about. because they're they all have their sort of quirks to them mm-hmm. some of them scarier than others some of them are more mystical mystical in nature <laughs> i don't think i've ever made a mist what's mystical i think eddie glum's a little mystical you think eddie glum's mystical it has really? moments of mysticism to it i think right, cool spooky but Definitely also spooky. mystical <laughs> that's what i was going for spooky it is spooky yeah. but i don't want to give anything away i actually, it's a scary movie it is a scary movie josie of tizzy wire uh makes a cameo in it i want secretly and i was going to do this as a little surprise oh. later but i want to do a whole episode on that movie oh and eddie glum i do really because it's my favorite really yes that's, that's pretty cool i know you probably have noticed on my folders that there's a little bucket on there called Eddie Glum because I've been planning this for a little while now. I have not noticed that. <laughs> I, am, I am a terrible husband. I have not been I noticing I had a little it. plan on now, that. Now, here's the question. Are you going to interview me about it or are you going to... Uh, I haven't 
I haven't completely thought about Talk that. Talk to somebody that else other than me. That is a very interesting idea. Like get you and Luke and Mickey or somebody or, or, or Todd hasn't seen it yet. I, but um, one of the people who help us make movies and or who watch the movie. That's an interesting see, concept. See, yes, I would like to talk about it. Have a conversation about it. Yeah, that would be very interesting. Because I almost think that would be more important, more interesting. Nico, a friend of ours, um, Nico, Nico and Linda, who will be in a future movie, not this year's movie, but hopefully the year after, we'll see, um, uh, came and visited us from Finland uh, um, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago. And... Um, he had a great. He had, he's so they're both theater people. That he's a she's an actress. He's a theater director, um, and has like won awards and stuff. So they're 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 kind of a big deal in their neighborhood, um, in Rovaniemi, Finland. And um, I was having a conversation with him about Eddie Glum and about what he thinks it means. And I was saying like, uh, well, I won't I won't go too much detail in the conversation, but he basically summarized that like artists have opinions about their own work and they're always wrong and irrelevant. It's completely <laughs> wrong and irrelevant. Whatever your that. opinion on your own work is, and your own interpretation is, is, is wrong and it's completely irrelevant what you think about it. The only thing that, way you think about it is, <laughs> is how the audience interprets it. And uh, so, f- I, and I completely agree with that. I, I, so like, you know, I think George Lucas would disagree, but I <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. I think a lot of people, disagree, but you know, being Nico or yeah. I think on a, I think I he think gets it yeah. with my stuff and I completely agree with them. So for me, I almost feel like, I almost feel like we're doing an Eddie Glum class. Maybe, maybe I could come in at the end, do a fun. little, do a little question and answer or something like that. But I feel like it'd be fun if you like interviewed somebody, or maybe just like take someone who's never seen it before and show them the movie and I, then ask and then talk oh, to them about just, it. It makes me like, so happy that movie. I'm very proud of that film. There's, 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 there's one thing about it I would change that I, I, I don't like anymore. Mm. But um, there's only one thing about it that I can't, I can't stand anymore. But uh, and that's something you cannot reveal. No. Okay, that's and fair. And it's more of a te- it's more of just like it's not I don't want to say it's a technical thing, but there's one scene that I think goes on twice as long as it should. There's one uh, scene I want to cut in half. Interesting. Um, that I think just goes on way too long to the point where I'm like, like I can't watch. It like makes me cringe. But other director's than that, director's cut. Yeah. In the future. Well, I mean, the director's cut would literally just be taking one like scene <laughs> and, and just cutting hilarious. it in half and just literally just <laughs> splitting it down the middle and being like that's the end of the scene you know I, I literally just think there's one there's really just one scene that i think just goes on twice as long as it should that at the time i was really into but now i don't really like but um mm. other than that everything else about it even even i probably shouldn't say this because this new portal man hasn't come out yet but i still think it's probably my favorite film mm. i said when i finished the movie this is the best i can do i think i can make movies as good as eddie glum I don't think I can make a movie better than Eddie Glum for me. Yeah. I think it's pr- that's like that's that's as good as I get. I, I think. don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. You don't know? I don't know about that. You think that. Tender Kisses? Is I better? don't know. Yeah. It all depends on the execution. It yeah, all that's true. I think execution in the, in the end. I think that that's actually an interesting uh idea cuz we we have this conversation quite a lot about films and when we're watching films and other people's films as well as our own. It it really you can have a very interesting story um but the execution could be could be like terrible or you could have a story that seems kind of empty yeah but you add the execution to it and it transforms a very simple story into something very complicated you're right i've never we have this discussion a lot and the way i always say it is that um your ideas don't really matter what's important is how you construct them Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that that uh, that's so that's something i want to talk about a little bit is the execution and the vision for it because you seem to come up with have like a million stories in your head 
at any one time. Yes. <laughs> yes. So when you are coming up, and this is something I actually genuinely want to know, and I'm not just saying mm-hmm. this for the audience. So when you're coming up with the with the idea and the vision and the feel of the film, are you doing it as you are writing, or do you have it in your head as you get started in the writing process, the tone and the execution and how that is going to be? Like, um, did you vision like for Eddie Glum? Did you envision it being like really grainy at the very beginning of your, your yeah, process? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's um. It's impossible for me to explain because <laughs> because it's sort of like trying to explain a gray nebulous cloud, like a fog that just kind of gray and sits on top of you and telling someone to like explain this in intricate detail. And I can't because it's just so vague because for me, what? I'm sorry. I'm just going to write that down because it made me laugh. I love that idea of Charles walking around the house with a gray and nebulous cloud. Yeah. And I might turn that into a cartoon later. Yeah, trying, <laughs> trying to form like this. It's like trying. Yeah, taking this gray nebulous cloud and trying to form it into something that like you can grab and try to like tuck in and then trying to, exp- you know, trying to explain that. But basically it's there are just flashes of things in my head and and. I go in with flashes of things in my head and then I just start writing with flashes of things in my head. Mm-hmm. So it could be with Eddie Glum, I just had the image of um me uh well, like I can't I can't cuz like this is like spoiler alert really. Um well, but the, yeah. I, I had you like certain need... I had certain images. I had, I literally just had certain shots hmm. in my head or a line or uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, maybe I had just five shots ended up in the movie, but they weren't they weren't in any kind of coherent structure or, or, or sequence. It was just like shot of, I'll make stuff up. This isn't in the movie, but you know, shot of guy in a Ferris wheel shot of man driving a car through a desert shot of, you know, um, uh, you know, somebody crying, you know, on a wheelchair or something like that. These aren't, none of this is in the movie. I'm just making this up the top of my head, but I'll just have like all these like random imagery. I guess, I, I guess I think very visually, Mm-hmm. I was talking with with a, f- a friend of ours the other day about differences between how we make movies. Where she writes out shot lists because she thinks very, um, she thinks in talking. She doesn't mm-hmm. think in vision. She thinks in like writing. And I think completely visually. If I wrote out like a shot list, I, I storyboard everything because if I wrote out a shot list, it would just be gibberish to me if I tried to look at it. I actually have to see it visually. So for me, it, a lot of times it's just a vision, um, a shot some way something looks could and it's just a jumble it's just a lot of and it's like i know he's all connected in the story somehow i have no idea how i don't know what i don't know what you know what the heck maybe i'll have like a very vague storyline about something you know in my mind and then i i just with all that in my head this is completely out of order um i'll just sit down and start writing something um and 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 you don't and you don't outline beforehand. It's just stream of outline, consciousness. I don't write anything down. My my general. I did it once. I outlined and I wrote what uh, things down ahead of time once, and I hated it. What was I the movie? Hated it so much. Um, uh, not not a movie. Hyper Nocturnal. Uh, oh really? It was, a, it was a radio drama I made called Hyper Nocturnal, which to date is the thing I've hated. I hate the most I've ever done. Really? It's to date, I still hate it. It's the, uh, I, love I, I know. I know. This is the irony: is that Joe uh, Josie loves. Hyper Nocturnal, my radio play. She thinks it's like one of the best things I've ever done. I I, I can't listen to it. Well, um, not over Eddie Klum, but I loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really liked it. Um, and, and I and I have gone a few fan mails from it, so that's nice. But um, 
yeah, I, I just, I, I can't, I don't, and there's not even like a specific reason why I just, I can't, I can't take it. I can't listen to it. It's like nails on a chalkboard. Everything just is wrong. Everything just seems wrong to me. And I really, and, um, and it might be just because that was like really hard to make. And it was like a really unenjoyable process to make. And I think part of it, the writing on that was really miserable for me because, and this is when I get discovered, I had written everything out beforehand. I, I had plotted everything out, you know, um, and written all the ideas down and mapped the whole thing out by this character is this, this character to go there and all that. And uh, when I wrote it, it was just, it felt like I was doing my taxes. Oh like my when I God. wrote it, it was the excitement oh of doing no. my, it was no excitement. There was no nothing in it for me. And it was just, it just felt miserable to me. And, um, and so ever since then, I've just refused to write anything down or, or map anything beforehand. Um, uh, I guess my opinion now is that, um, uh, I think I did it because when I first started, I was really, and I'm going to get really cocky right now. Uh, <laughs> um, but this kind of ties alert. to what you're saying. Huh? <laughs> I said spoiler alert. Spoiler, <laughs> but uh, not spoiler. But um, um, my my opinion on it right now is that if I can't remember it, the idea wasn't good enough to make. Mm. And initially, I was very scared of taking that approach because I was like, well, what if I run out of ideas? What if I, what if I, I have to write down all my ideas because I won't remember them and, I, and I'll run out. And it's sort of like I'm like at the bank and I'm withdrawing ideas and things like that. And I have since have no fear of running out of ideas ever now. Like I think I could keep making up ideas forever. And one thing about it, and I, I think I, that sounds cocky and it is, but I think it's important for people who are trying to write and all that stuff. Um, two, two things with that um, uh, is that one, one thing I have discovered um, is that coming up with ideas is a muscle. Your brain's kind of a muscle. And that if you don't keep coming up with ideas all the time, you'll be really bad at coming up with ideas because your, 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 your brain muscle's weak. If you keep coming up with ideas and keep writing, you, coming up with new ideas will be a lot easier. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? It's yeah. sort of like the more you do it, the easier it gets. And I mean, with, with all the stuff we're always doing, like coming up with stories and making movies or D and D even like, it's like, I feel like I have a pretty good idea muscle. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's always, I mean, I've never had writer's block really. What I've had issues with is just motivation. Like I've started, I've had an idea, I've started writing it and I just get bored with it and I just like dump it and just do something else because I just get bored. Um, but that's, that's been always been more my problem. But anyway, but also related to that is that whether you have a really unique idea or a really um, generic idea, which I have both of a lot, um, w- one thing I've discovered is that it's it's for me, it's silly to sit and stress about what are my ideas, what are my ideas, what are my ideas in terms of stories, in terms of images, all blah, 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 all that um, is because that doesn't really matter. As I think I've discovered, it's kind of not important what your ideas are. It's how you construct, at least with filmmaking, right? And I think with most things with writing too, but it's it's how you construct your ideas. Because you could have, as you're just saying, and this is kind of ties in what you're saying before, you could have, in my opinion, the most unique idea in the world. And it could come off just completely lame if you just construct it in a in a lame way or in mm-hmm. a generic way. Yeah. Other hand, you could have a completely lame idea that's just kind of that's just completely stupid. And it could be like one of the greatest things you've ever seen in your life if you construct it really interestingly. Yeah. And I have an example of this. If uh-huh. I can keep talking, can I keep talking? I am going to let you keep talking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really great example. I want to go back to Matt Nash. So the, there's a guy um, we know who's a, a film professor in a 
Wesley University, and I, I he when Eddie, he really loves Eddie Glum, and when I, Eddie Glum came out, he had me come and talk to his students for it. If I can name drop and brag a little bit, um, I want to go back because I this is like an epiphany I had after I talked to his students. So I will go back and say this to his students, see what he thinks about it. But um, what I'm saying, okay, so there there an example of this what I'm talking about with um, your idea, dumb ideas can be great if they're constructed interestingly is the movie um uh dark man uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> by yeah, sam yeah. raimi who's I'm, I'm a big fan of yeah and there's the scene that everyone always remembers and it's the most famous scene which is the pink elephant scene and in the scene liam neeson and francis mcdormand go to a, a carnival and they try to win a pink elephant at the carnival game and the carny rips them off so liam neeson breaks his fingers and throws them through a wall <laughs> and like and then runs away screaming right right and when you actually break down what the idea is like if you break it to because ideas it's really like your idea is the base of whatever a scene is right so like what is the idea of the scene and the idea is carney rips off guy guy gets angry and beats up carney right that's the idea that's a really dumb idea that's like yeah. a. That's not even a. That's like half an idea. That's yeah. a, it's really lame, as cliche as you could possibly think of. But just a stupid idea. But the way he constructs the scene is just like the most unique, original, like in your face, extreme thing. And it's just it's a compl- It's like the best scene in the movie, and it's like this completely memorable scene because of just how he constructs it. Like you know, it's like just the shots of like he throws the ball and you're following the ball and then it misses and it misses and it hits. And then the carney rips him off, and it's like the camera's getting closer and closer and tilted more and more on Liam Neeson's face as he gets more and more angry. And yeah. then, like, he breaks the carney's fingers, and it shows the shot with, like, this light in their face and right, all this, like, right. screaming. The the... There's all this, like, screaming and rage. <laughs> and, like, the background behind him suddenly explodes into flames, and a fire starts shooting yeah. out of his eyes. <laughs> and it's, like, it just goes to, like, from just such a baseline to just so, like, over the top. But yeah. the way they construct it is just, he constructs it just so, like, fantastic that it's like to me that's like the ultimate example of like it, your idea doesn't matter because it, that's it's a horrible idea it's, a, it's the stupidest idea ever. honestly dark man itself just the idea of dark man is like the dumbest idea of a, for a superhero ever. it's like the dumbest idea for a movie ever heard but it's like it's like one of the best superhero movies you've ever seen <laughs> and i was listening, listening to an interview with sam Raimi the other day he hopefully, he hopefully said it. he's like dark man he's like yeah it's the shadow he's like yeah dark he's dark i can't because he was like i want to do the shadow they won't let me do the shadow so i invented my own superhero shadow dark he's dark man he's not the shadow he's dark man right he's like it's, <laughs> it's a stupid idea like it's not even an idea but the whole thing was just constructed so well and so uniquely that it's like fantastic. Yeah. And to me, that's sort of like, so when I'm talking about like, where do your ideas come from? Do you write them down? Do you outline things? I mean, no, I'm not really that worried about it because I think I've gotten to a point where one, I'm just confident enough that I can keep coming with, with interesting things. And then two, um, I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters what my mm-hmm. ideas are. I think it's, you know, things I stress out about is honestly less about the writing and more about the storyboarding mm-hmm. because that's where I'm like, how is this shot going to flow? Where is this person looking? What's the camera doing here? That's the stuff that I'm always trying to get better at. That's hard. I think that it sounds like like the hardest part, the part where you going back to hyper nocturnal and the mm-hmm. differences between that and where you evolve from. It's kind of like getting out of your own way a little bit like not getting in the way and trying to force a specific process yep. that doesn't work. You have yes. to find the flow that works for you. And to going back even further to the friend you were talking about, people might th- 
treat it differently. You see it in a very visual way. Mm -hmm. Somebody else might see it in a more uh, of a written word way or just the writing. Anybody can approach it in in a different sort of way. I'm just wondering how many different ways people can approach something like movies and come up with a completely different story on the other side of that. Is it just the way we think? I'm curious about different like directors. How many directors like Sam Raimi, for instance, see things visually and produce things in a certain way and it hits the note of somebody else who also sees things very visually and that strikes the chord with you because it's like, ah, that's my thought process. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm wondering, I wonder about that a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. I I mean, I think it's just sort of, I mean, some, I think a lot of times a leap of faith, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you, because a lot of times you show something really out there, you know, there's a huge chance that you're just going to alienate the audience because they're not used to. I mean, a lot of times when they talk about marketability, it's kind of just uh, it's it's a it's code word for generic. And the reason it's generic, it's marketable. Something generic is marketable because people are accustomed to it, right? They're mm-hmm. very comfortable with it. Um, it doesn't like you don't have to like um, rejigger your brain, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. so when some a director does something really daring, like I would say, Dark Man was, you know, and it and it was a hit. It was a I think it was a bit of a hit when it came out too. It wasn't like a huge hit, but I think you know it was it was a decent enough movie mm-hmm. um, that they made a bunch of like straight to DVD sequels to it. But um, <laughs> you know, you're always taking that risk, and I think that's sort of like a, a risk taking sign uh, or a, a sign of a director who's like not scared taking risk is not like necessarily what their dialogue and their script is per se. It's, it's how are they constructing their dialogue and their script, right? Right. And the scenes that they've written out because you could take, you could do that same scene, just have the whole thing be over the shoulder, master shot, over the shoulder, master shot, over the shoulder, over the shoulder. Right. Mm-hmm. And it would be completely safe and boring. Even if you had some, some like something genius, right. In, in, in the, in the, uh, in the dialogue and the screenplay. Right. But if you construct it in a really lame way, then it's just, it's just yeah. lame. And I think um, for me, when I'm looking at like directors that I really admire, it's like peop- it's it's um, people, um, men and women, um, who uh, just do things in, in a in a very um, in a way that would not be comforting or familiar to an audience. Maybe or maybe way totally to- locked in Anya's room right now. Hmm? Oh, is a cat <laughs> in a way that was not uh, familiar to the audience. Hang on, I'm gonna go uh, rescue our cat from our daughter's room. Hang on, cat's been saved. I'm back. <laughs> um, what was I saying? But yeah, but I think it's 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 the people I always really admire and I take a lot of example from are just people, not necessarily like what their ideas were per se or what their screenplays were or things like that, but it's it's just how are they presenting what their ideas are and are they doing it in a way that's like not easily familiar, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, yeah, because I think a lot of mainstream directors will sort of take and God, who am I to say any criticize anyone for anything? Because you know I'm nobody. <laughs> but I feel like a lot of directors will take interesting scripts or interesting ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Which is fair. But then they just sort of nothing really stands out about it. Like you can't tell if one movie's been directed by one person or another because they're because it's just sort of like I said, it's just master shot over the shoulder, over the shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so for me, that's like. I, I think that's uh, what I often try to push, well, at least for me, I try to push myself to do. I'm not always successful in it, of course. But yeah. Yeah, and I think that's something that's really important. And, oh, yeah. and, and every to get back to your, your question, though, um, I think it's always a leap of faith when you do that. I mean, maybe there's a reason that doesn't happen anymore because studios don't want to hire people like that anymore because mm-hmm. it's not going to be, you know, risks like that 
a high you highly risk alienating the audience because when people you show them you're presenting something in a way they're not used to you know without in something that's not just over the shoulder master shot master shot right then they tend to just be like confused right right they just Mm -hmm. don't get it it doesn't do anything for them so it's always a risk you know and that happens a lot but it's always a risk and but when it works you know and you have the right audience and they're open or in the right mood to be open-minded enough to it it can be like it can be like the greatest thing right yeah you know it's funny i think that this kind of issue does like transcend different kinds of art mediums because in talking to in talking to some of the other people I've interviewed on this mm-hmm. podcast, I hear similar stories. It's like you you could be very marketable, being very safe, and have a select audience that wants that specific cookie cutter component mm-hmm. to it and really and, and make a living at it. You can yeah. mechanize it and you can get it out there. There's always going to be an audience for it. There's always somebody who's going to want McDonald's, right? Yep. But the artistry and where the expression comes from and the real uniqueness comes from the artist. And I think whether you are in any medium that you're in, but particularly in film, because there's so many people involved, especially you're dealing with producers. Yep. It's like, it's so much easier to have that artistry stripped away in Mm. the, because it's so much more expensive to create at the yep. same time. Yeah, and I think it's in ways you don't normally think of, too. Because it's also, like, in ways... I mean, I think everybody talks about the script, I feel like, when they're talking about these type of things. To me, I talk about more than this. I'm talking about more than the script. Because it can literally just be how you shoot something, mm-hmm. right? You know? No, we're not going to do some weird, crazy crane shot for some, you know, a person walking down the street. We're just going to film it normally. Because it's cheap, because it'll weird out the audience. No, we're not going to have the shot be extra long. Have some really long shot, you know? <laughs> what was it? The, the David Lynch, you know, the guy sweeping the floor for five, for 15 minutes, right? right? We're not right. going to have that shot, right? Right. Because that's alienating to an audience. They won't get it, right? Um, and and uh, to me, that's like the stuff I... I, I mean, I, I'm clueless with how you typically deal with producers and things like that, but I feel like as I've talked to other filmmakers and things like that, that's the kind of stuff that that tends to drive you more nuts than just being like, well, the script needs to have like a happy ending because, you know, people, 16-year-old men won't, or 16-year-old boys won't be happy if there's not a happy ending or something like that. You right. know, I feel like that it's like a lot of times the stuff that drives you nuts as a filmmaker or as a director, which is really where your domain mm-hmm. is, is not, or an editor even, is not so much the like the straight up script changes per se it's the construction of your yeah. screenplay <laughs> you know yeah I, mean, I remember darren aronofsky uh got into a huge row with um i can't remember the company but he made that uh, noah movie because they because they shot the film they shot the script but then they took it away from him and re-edited it into the way they mm. saw fit right yeah and so he probably and so he was all you know, and then and then he got it back and he was able to do what he wanted with it but i remember you know but an example like that like the I feel like the the fear there isn't, or the anger there isn't from oh they they changed the dialogue, they changed the screenplay, something like that. That the, the anger there is they changed my shots, <laughs> you know, they yeah. changed my flow, they changed how it's constructed, mm-hmm. right? They changed what went to where, and like I feel like that tends to be, that's how film directors really separate themselves, and that's what we as film directors get really concerned about is how a movie is constructed. Um, you know, and I, that's often I find where like battlegrounds happen, at least in this in this industry. And, you know, it, you know I, even though you're not dealing with producers and, and you're not dealing with that struggle at this point, mm-hmm. one thing that you have 
had to struggle with is the is the film festival circuit and trying to get your oh yeah work out there yeah and really finding that (laughs) i'm really bad at that (laughs) (laughs) well i think it's an interesting thing because you had mentioned that a lot of different uh independent filmmakers are having that a similar similar issues especially if they're trying to produce something different that doesn't fit within the realm of any particular category i mean outside of the horror industry of course but yeah i mean it's it's they don't tell you why they reject a film though mm-hmm. right nobody tells you and so it's always guesswork so i have no idea i mm-hmm. really don't it's hard for me to say because i could be very i could be very self-indulgent and be like well it's because my movies are weird they don't like it but it could also just be because i make 80 minute long movies with no celebrities in them mm-hmm. and it could be something as simple as that like and we don't want to put 80 minute long movies without celebrities in them in our film festival because we want to make room for the celebrity movies that's when we attract the audience maybe it's just a complete marketability thing could you be. know so i you know i i i i maybe they just didn't like the movie they just you know because it's low budget they don't want things that look like they're under you know a million dollars i don't know about that i've seen can, some low budget stuff at some yeah of the i have too that's true actually I- <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so i honestly for me it's like it's very it's very easy to sit here and be like well they just don't get my work and they blah 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 but mm-hmm. it's like there's so many damn reasons why your movie could get rejected. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just don't know. I have really have no idea why why my movies get rejected most of the time. I really don't know. Other than of course the Chain Film Festival, which we just showed my newest movie Portal Man, right. at, and we're going to be going to the Newark Film Festival next month, also to be showing my movie Portal Man. Yeah. So I'm not like without film festivals. I have, I do definitely have you know yeah. those two supporters in the film festival circuit, but well, um. Thinking yeah. about, I'm more thinking about the film festival circuit because I think that in many ways, especially as artists are getting out there and are starting to put their their stuff out there to the world, it's a very vulnerable experience. You have put all yes. of this effort into building something, into making something. You have been out in the sun. You have been up all night. You have lost shots. You have had coffee spill on a computer in the middle of doing. Oh no, that was um, <laughs> that was a uh, Bengal spice tea. Michael's spice tea spilled all over your work. You've had any number of blood, sweat, and tears in your work, and you finally get to a place where you can show it. And the thing that, if you've never done a film before, you might not know about is that when you're doing the film festival circuit, you can't show your work anywhere else publicly until you're done with the film festival circuit. So you can't just have it on YouTube and do film festivals. You kind of have to pick one and stick with it. So if you want to do film festivals and possibly get written up and have that extra bit of publicity that comes from a film festival, you kind of have to hide it from the rest of the world until you're done. And I think especially for someone like you, Charles, who is kind of impatient (laughs) and really wants to get it out there. And in general, it's hard for artists. It's a very, it's a very hard process to go through. And I think, I think a lot of people coming into this might get very discouraged even at the first rejection. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, what, what can I say? I mean, uh, it is hard. It is hard not to get discouraged. It's completely natural to get discouraged. You know, I get discouraged all the time. <laughs> but, um, I mean, when, uh, it, it was, it, people sometimes saying, some people sometimes say that, like, filmmaking is like being in war. That's like a common, like, turn of phrase you hear. Mm-hmm. And I, I disagree with that. I think it's more like walking through the desert talking to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> because that's kind of what it feels like. Because it's like if it's war, at least you got something to push against. At least, you, you know, you feel like you're going backwards. You feel like you're going forwards. Like, some, there's movement happening, right? There's, there's an enemy. There's a battle. 
With this, it's just silence. There's just nobody. <laughs> it's just nothing. Yeah. You're just walking. You have no idea if you're heading the right direction. You have no idea if anything's going anywhere. You just have no idea. It just feels like emptiness. And I think that's what ends up driving people off is not the rejection, honestly. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think people, a lot of people talk about what to do when you get rejected. What do you do when people tell you... Um, when somebody says, well, I don't like your work, you get criticized or things like that. I feel like rarely that rarely that's what drives people out. It's, it's silence. Hmm. It's, it's no one even caring enough to tell you you're bad, which is what majority overwhelming majority of filmmakers, independent filmmakers experience. They don't Hmm. experience somebody coming and slapping in the face. They don't experience some, nasty critic giving them some really ugly review or something like that normally what you experience is just dead silence it's just Mm -hmm. dead air you know you send things out it just goes into a black hole you never hear back from it again and that's it and you you send it out or you get rejection letters you don't know why you reject you'll get 100 rejection letters they'll never tell they'll never tell you why because they're sending out you know thousands of these rejection letters and that's just it and that's your life for years and years and years right and i think that's what drives people insane and i think it's something no one really talks about ever because i don't think anybody really knows how do you talk somebody out of that Mm -hmm. how do you because you know when somebody's a critic somebody tells you you're bad somebody whatever whatever you can kind of build it's something to work with right you can be like well this is their criticism i can tell you why i think their criticism is wrong you know, or, oh, maybe you can learn something from this criticism. Maybe if you do things that, you know, there's like something constructive you can do with that, whether it's rejecting it or turning it around or actually using it or whatever. What do you do with just dead silence where nobody's just saying anything and no one's even bothering to watch or even or look at you or do anything, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something I don't have a good, and that's something that, that honestly, if you're listening to this and you're an independent filmmaker, that's what you're probably going to be experiencing. You're probably not going to be experiencing a lot of people telling you you're terrible. You're going to experience a lot of people just not even paying attention to you or ignoring you or saying anything. You're going to mm-hmm. be a lot of dead air. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of mm-hmm. walking through the desert talking to yourself, right? Because <laughs> no one's listening. And that is what's soul crushing. That's what's really hard for people, I think. And that's what I think drives people away um, because it's it's like, what's the point, right? You sit there, somebody tells you you're bad, then it's a fight, you know? Mm-hmm. When nobody says anything, what are you, you like, what's the, what's the point? What's the point of making this? No one's listening. No one cares, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and um, you know, the only thing, uh, there, there is no good, <laughs> there is no good response. There is no good way to feel better about that. Um, I guess all I can say is that you kind of have to remember that it, it, you have you have to have some other reason beyond that. I always say there's two two ways. Um, uh, there are two things you have to look at when you're doing stuff like this, which is one, what you want out of it, and two, why you're doing it. The what you want out of it is really easy to come up with because it's mm-hmm. the same thing everybody wants. Everybody wants to be successful, right? You want to be a hot shot. You want people to like your work. You want to make money off of it. You want to be a hot shot. Whether you don't, or you don't want to make money off of it, whatever it is, you want to be successful. Like everybody wants to be a hot shot. That, clearly that's what we want if you're putting it out there. Why you're doing something is completely set. I think it should be completely separate from what you want out of it. And that tends to be a much more difficult thing to determine. And I think it's more important because, you know, does it, you know, 99.9, you know, like, becoming successful in this in this industry in this world it's like it's like winning the lottery right it's like it's like winning the lottery three times in a row if you can actually manage to do it like even if you have something that like people like and is a hit the chance of you even be being successful making your living off of that is still like 
astronomically low. Like, you know, it's like, you might as well just, it's like saying my career plan is going and just playing the lottery. I'm going to win the lottery. And that's my career plan, right? If this is, if this is kind of what you're going for. So, um, getting what you want is very rare and you're probably not going to get it, but some, some people do, of course, if they try hard enough. So I think, um, you strive as hard as you can for what you want, but that can't be what fuels you mm-hmm. ultimately. Right. Because if that's all that fuels you, then it's just, you, there's, there's going to be a whole lot of nothing there left to fuel you when you get, yeah. when nobody cares when you're in the desert. Right. Well, it's external validation versus your internal drive. Right. External validation can only give you so much that that well, feedback. Well, yeah, I mean, or, or whatever, whatever it is. But I, I think the why is is so much more. It's so much more important thing to get down. It's a much mm-hmm. harder thing to get down, and it's a lot of soul searching, and it's not easy, and it's you're really going to question it, and you know, um, you you just sort of you have to stay on that because I think the why is very similar to having a vision. Um, mm-hmm. I think a dr- I think that's really what a dream is. A dream shouldn't just be being successful, right? Um, though it's something we all desperately want, <laughs> but that's not really what a dream is. Because you can be successful, you know, if you're just looking to be successful to work for a bank, right? Mm-hmm. You or do or do something else that's like much easier to become successful doing that if you just want the money, right? Um, I think the your dream needs to be something related to um, what? Okay, you want to make movies. What kind of movies do you want to make? Do you actually have a vision for, like, the types of films you want to do? Like, how you want them to be? You know, and 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 I think if you do have that, that's what you work toward. That's, that's your motivation. Whether you're mm-hmm. successful or not successful, that's your motivation is to get to the point where you can make movies the way you want to make them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm Charles Davis. I want to make weird movies like Eddie Glum that are, are really you know, abstract or, or, or surrealist or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, I want, I have a vision for that type being able to do that type of thing. I have a certain way I want to be doing movies. I like how certain shots are and how they're pieced together. And that's sort of what I'm trying to aim for is just being able to, to, to keep doing and improving on that, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, you know, maybe somebody's like, I really like romantic comedies. And I just want to delve into the world of romantic comedies or someone's like, I love trauma movies and I want to do really like gross out, you know, comedies or whatever, like, and I think that's sort of like, I think that's your, needs to be your compass because I can't tell you, we're talking about film festivals and rejection. I can't tell you how to not get rejected from a film festival. I can't tell you what to do when they reject a film festival. It's going to hurt a lot. It's going to break your heart over and over again. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's all I can tell you. <laughs> yes. It's mm-hmm. going to be terrible. <laughs> but, um, so you need to have some type of other motivation beyond just, just people liking you. Um, it, there needs to be something that it needs to be kind of narcissistic and selfish and it needs to be kind of focused on there's something you want to see and you want to get to and types of things you want to make. And that that's, and that's the why, and that's something no one can really tell you, you have to figure it out for yourself. Well, I think it's the nature of art in general. It, I wouldn't call it necessarily narcissistic. I think that you have a dream. You are, you were, especially with you because you were doing everything. You're doing the writing, you were doing the actual camera work you're acting in most of the films you're doing and you're doing all of the editing you're doing all of the post-production you're doing all of the distribution you're doing every component of it so not the camera i have a, i have people coming you do have camera. camera camera people too but you do a lot of you do a lot of it ron and shannon do sound <laughs> you do a lot of it so i mean 
in some ways it's kind of like you know you know those like old school like turn of the century one man band things where it's like you have the big like drums and then you've got like the horn on one side and the guy like he's got an accordion on his back or something that's me that's why it's my that's my um twitter profile picture where I'm playing guitar and singing to a microphone and playing keyboards with my feet at the same time. That's right. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's, that's what it feels like. That's right. It is, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is so classic. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, but that is, you're putting yourself and you're putting the whole thing together. Of course you're going to have an attachment to it. Mm. Anybody anybody who's just starting a business and it's like it starts from the ground level and you're doing everything, of course you're going to have an attachment to it. Somebody just walking in says, like, well, I think it should be that way. Of course, it's gonna hit hit a nerve, but the silence on that. I I think that filmmaking is kind of unique because even in the recording industry, if you're putting a piece of music out there, you are never required to be on mute until a festival circuit is done. Yep. I think that that's like the hardest part because you are sort of a slave to that film festival circuit for however long you want to run it and you have to sort of sit on your work and hope for the best and hope for that external validation forever Mm -hmm. until you can kind of be free and promote your work on your own terms Mm. and i that's that's what i see with it and that's i feel like there's i'm not seeing anything else that's quite like it and i think it's very strange Mm. way to go about it i don't know I'm sure there are big reasons why that ended up happening. It's like, why does New Jersey have to have separate alcohol yeah. <laughs> businesses think, from like grocery yeah. stores? It's kind of like that. It's well, like, it's, it's weird. Why? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all just because they're in competition with each other, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to be the ones to say we have the first, you know, you're going to see films or you haven't seen other places. Mm-hmm. That's basically it. Yeah. That's pretty much all it is. It didn't used to be that way. It used to be film festivals. It was just like, like a movie could have been out for like, three years it would show it right right just because it was an interesting film but now there's like i mean there's now the film festival circuit i don't know coming hang on um the film festival circuit is now so um there's so many film festivals there's thousands and thousands and thousands of them um and they're all in competition with each other and it's it's i think i think it kind of has to do with that it's just who um you know they also have a thing too where like if you show at one film festival other film festivals won't take you Mm. and things like that like they want to have premiere status what we call premiere status there will be world premieres or regional premieres and things like that so it's like um you know um so yeah it's and that thing is just because it's like it's just um i mean it's just economics and marketability you it's a good it's a big um uh uh uh, sell point for Mm -hmm. why you should visit go buy tickets to go to this one film festival is because we only show movies you haven't seen before or something like that but now it's it's so going past if you going beyond the film festival circuit these days i mean when you're done with it Mm -hmm. at least in this day and age we have the option to self distribute yes and we can do things like netflix which sometimes well, do they Netflix. don't they don't always they don't always accept you but it's an option that's more reasonable than you could have possibly done in the past and yeah. you also have Amazon Amazon's, which does not have as many restrictions. Yeah. Um Amazon iTunes Vimeo those are probably the best ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, Amazon I'd say Amazon Prime Video Direct right mm-hmm. now is probably number 1 for indie filmmakers just yeah. because um you can put it up, you can sell directly. 
and then they also have the prime streaming so you make six cents for every hour streamed right. um uh, uh for people watch your movie so or you can just have people rent them directly right there That's, and vimeo is also a really popular one those two are probably the best ones yeah. itunes is really good um but uh it takes a little more effort to get on there but you can mm-hmm. um yeah netflix is great but um you have to it, they're 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 a bit more closed off they're hard to they're hard to they're hard to, to get in. They're hard to pitch to and sell to. So, yeah. Distributor.com. Last I knew, I don't know if this changed, but Distributor.com, if you paid them, like, I can't remember what it was, but uh, uh, several hundred dollars, they'll, like, pitch it for you, basically, mm-hmm. to Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. What other weird, I'm trying to think about what other weird things as you were getting into this, because you did the, as we talked about, and eventually I do want to talk about the radio plays, but yep. we're going to stick to film for this. When you were transitioning from radio plays into film, your first film was the a short film called yep. Blood. Yes. What do you think was the biggest hurdle and the biggest the biggest thing that you was like a shock in the filming process and, and or oh. just writing it? Like what was the weirdest thing that kind of took you aback like, "Oh, I I have to figure this out." Or, "Oh, I didn't even think about this." Or Yeah, just how long how long shots can be if you don't have like I've gotten a lot better at this now because I can go pretty fast now because I just sort of know what I'm doing. But when I was first starting out, like I remember we were we filmed the scene in a bowling alley and we were there for four. We had four hours to film. And I wasted two of those hours filming what it ended up being like maybe three shots hmm. because I was like, OK, two people walking in, talking to each other. We need to do a master shot, a close up, a mid shot and over the shoulder. So it was like I was having us do like. I was having us shoot it as if we were filming like, you know, a, a $40 million movie or something right? like that, right? Yeah. Not a $1,000 movie <laughs> in the middle of a packed bowling alley, right? It was, it was, it was just, um, it, it was like, I think it was just getting a sense of like how long it takes to shoot something. Um, uh, and like when you, you need to kind of know beforehand, do I really need a mid shot in this? Am I really going to use that in editing? Do I really need an over the shoulder? Like how, what is the minimum amount of shots I really can do? And that's what you do. And you try to do it fast and you try mm-hmm. to do it like, you know, and you have to kind of accept that like, it's not going to be perfect because you have no money to, because perfection is like luxury only money can buy. <laughs> so you just have to go, go, go. And I didn't have that sense. Cause I remember when we did that first sequence, like literally you're there for four hours. You spent two hours just doing maybe not even a page of dialogue just getting that shot for like two hours straight which i in retrospect i should have done in like i should have gotten that done within like you know 20 to 30 minutes that entire Mm. thing right and then we had to rush because we had to make the rest of this entire we had like two hours to film everything else right we had like four more scenes to do we had barely we had gotten through like the beginning of one scene right yeah um you know, uh, and uh, and I remember we had to cut out a bunch of shots because eventually at the very end of the movie, we had to film multiple shots with just these really long single takes with the camera following everyone around. That. And the was and and it ended up looking really good. I actually ended up really actually has kind of become a bit of my style now a little bit. Um, but and initially it was it was we just had to do it because we were they're gonna kick us out. Like we had like thirty minutes to like to like shoot like the end of the scene and we just had to do everything in these like three extra long shots right mm-hmm. um and so for me that was like just learning tempo and like you know you have to get like we have to move on we have to move on mm-hmm. um that was hard to get yeah which is something i mean again that's just like that's just the story when everyone hears about that when oh you're, you have to move so fast we have no money it's like 
I, I didn't really understand what that means. You know, now we can go, now we go really crazy fast, you know, because now I really know, mm-hmm. I kind of, I just kind of get it a bit more. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, you have to set, you have to be okay. You just have to go in knowing I'm okay sacrificing things. The lane's not going to be perfect. The sound might not be perfect. The shot might not be exactly perfect, but you, we have to keep it, the, you know, you have to be okay with good enough because you have to keep moving. We, you know, to get Portal Man done, we were shooting at 1.30 to 40 shots in four in four hours huh. um you know when i remember in central park you were doing like 30 to 40 shots like within like a four hour period which is you know like that's a lot right yeah. and that's <laughs> or setups or whatever they call it um and uh that's but you know I, I couldn't have done that without the experience of just like completely blowing it like you know um i learned breaks and then the importance of making sure people get breaks which is what mm-hmm. i learned in my second film um because we shot for a really long time and i didn't give everyone a break because i you know just sort of go forever and i don't really think about it and <laughs> um everyone got really angry at me um i ordered pizza so it was okay yeah, in it the was end okay, and it but... right. that was a learning experience yeah so it was all that i mean a lot of it too is just kind of more um i mean a lot of it's just not not really exciting stuff like like where to um like we're like uh where to hold like a mic like what kind of audio equipment to use like mm-hmm. is worthwhile like um you know different types of lenses things like that just things like that that make things move a little faster like mm-hmm. lighting with leds things like that like you know what settings to keep the camera at like yeah i think just getting more comfortable with editing a little bit so i just know like oh i'm not gonna use that shot so we don't we don't need it Mm-hmm. Kind of stuff like that i'm sure and as you go like you kind of get used to what your pacing is and how long something would take to edit yep. depending on how much you've shot that day yep and another, yeah. another thing was also just um i had a really hard time with that at first and i still do and i still but i think i've gotten better is just being very clear about really knowing what you want because portal man when we filmed that versus blood what I had done up before Portal Man is I would have the storyboards and I would just every for every shot I would sit and I'd look at the storyboards. Uh-huh. Like, okay, storyboard says we're doing this. Now we're gonna do this, guys, and I'll try to explain it. And I'd take me a really long time. So I think I've learned a bit about just being very direct, very to the point. And then one thing I did with Portal Man, which was really helpful, was that the night before I would memorize the storyboards. I would memorize every shot we were supposed to do the next day. Mm-hmm. And then I never had to stop and like scan through storyboards for like 15 minutes trying to figure out what we're doing. I just knew, okay, we're doing this shot now. Now when you move here, we're doing this shot. Like, and I could just go through and we could just go, go, go. Cause I knew Ooh. exactly what we needed to do. Um, and that was, that's something that I've kind of picked up that I think is important. Just, just walking and knowing what you need, yeah. you know, as best you can, you know, mm-hmm. again, if we were like, you know, if we were a movie where we could shoot, you know, four days in one location 12 hour days and okay you know you know that's not so big of a deal but you know we don't have that so you just kind of have to the importance of walking and knowing what you want right um yeah yeah and i think that i hear the thunder in the background it's getting very ominous and i am mildly concerned about losing power and losing all of the audio Okay. (laughs) but i want to know one thing i want to know so do you want to stop and save I could stop and save. And then we can keep going? Yeah. Half of it's safe? Okay, yeah. we're going to stop and take a break. We will come right back after these messages. And we're back. And we're back. Okay. <laughs> we saved just to make sure. Just to make sure. But um, so we talked a little bit about the 
where you kind of started and, and the evolution and the kinds of different things that you've been making over a while, but where do you want to take things next? You've got a few things in, on the radar right now, but um, where's your, where's your, you talked about the dream. What is the dream? Oh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, I kind in a weird way, I kind of am living the dream because I'm, I'm, I know, I see, hang on, I got a cat in my lap. Um, <laughs> I kind of am living the dream because I am, um, I mean, I'm making the movies I want to make the way I want to make them. I would say for me, it's just sort of going bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, okay, like this last film, Portal Man, we had all the special effects and we were running around New York City and all that stuff. Now I want to do stuff with like lots of indoor locations and I want to like, you know, get bigger, more actors and bigger crowds and, you know, crowd shots and things like that. So it's like, I mean, I'd say it's just more like getting more experience doing things like that. And then, I mean, but honestly, more than that, it's just I have just ideas in my head. I know, for instance, I we're doing a short film next because I just did a sci-fi movie. So I kind of want to go because I got burned out doing horror movies, but now <laughs> I want to do more horror movies. So I want to do that. Then um, I have a screenplay for the next movie after that. And it kind of changes things up a bit as well. Um, which is more of a psychodrama and you know my influences are changing a bit right now I'm I feel like I'm going I went through my David Lynch phase I'm going into my Ken Russell phase interesting so So I want to do some stuff a little more stylistically like that and then um you know I think the next movie after that um I want to do something in black and white again I want to go back to another black and white movie um yeah so it's like stuff like that and I, I think just you know um I mean in terms of the dream it's it's I mean it's kind of like I'm already doing it. I mean, the dream would be just like, you know, to get, I mean, the want again, that's the why, but the right. want is of course just to like build up the fan base, get people watching the movie, watching the movie, you know, getting, getting some income so I can actually like, you know, uh, pay actors because <laughs> I don't pay actors or anybody, uh, uh, anything, um, for being in the movie. So just being able to do that. And, and that, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, the ultimate dream, but like I said, like that's ever gonna happen but um in terms of just sort of having vision i i mean i'm 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 kind of already doing it in terms of i'm able to kind of do the types of films i want i figure out a way to just indefinitely keep making the types of movies i want to make the way i want to make them right it's just from here it's just kind of like can you improve the it's kind of more technical stuff can i improve the production value can Mm -hmm. i get better at sound can i get better at you know um or maybe there's a new influence, a new way I want to do something, you know, so that, right. that's more what it's about right now. I mean, in a way, it's like the quintessential, it's the quintessential example of someone who has has a day job yep. and uses that day job to fund the yes. passion. I mean, yes. we're not really making any money on it. That's for darn sure. <laughs> so that is why you need to have the why. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. Yes, well, I do have a day job. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep, we both do. That's yep, how that's how we do. fund it. It's you know that's that's the mo- that's how we make money to make movies. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing. One of the things that I want to do as I talk to more people is just finding out funding ideas and how yeah. people are funding these movies outside of having day jobs, but like how you build a Patreon page and yeah. how how you build that audience, how do you market to that audience, yeah. how do you keep up with a Patreon page yeah. with all of the additional bonuses. I want to know more about that kind of stuff because I feel like maybe both of us could really find some value in that. Sure. I mean, I think for me, if I was to do a Patreon, well, first, I just don't have a fan. First, you need a fan base, right? You need people actually like pay attention to you. I'm a fan. You're the fan. Great. 
My wife, my Cheer. wife will donate to my Cheer. Patreon from from our own bank account. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, well, I mean, the thing with that is, um, yeah, I mean, first you just need to build a fan base too. For I think for filmmakers like me, it's really hard thinking about what you do with a Patreon because it's like, like if you're doing like a podcast like this, it might be easier because you you can do things like I'm gonna have another podcast or because it's something you can produce in like a weekly level. For me, it's like it takes me a year if I'm lucky to make one movie. Like, mm-hmm. so what am I going to give people on a monthly basis to warrant, you know, uh, a monthly subscription? So I have to think I'd have to think of something that I would be able to do on a monthly basis because I don't want to just be like, oh, just give me money because right. Because that's that's kind of that's 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 crappy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what? I don't want to be that guy. Like, yeah. I want to I want to, you know, I want to give people if you're, you're subscribing, you got to get something at least on a monthly basis. And for me, because I've thought about that, it's like I have no idea. I because it just takes it takes so damn long to make one movie. Right, you know, mm-hmm. to make one short film, it could take you a year, right? Yeah. Um. I. So, what do you? What do you? What? What could I possibly offer people on a monthly basis? And I. That. That is. That is not just nonsense, right? Like it's not just like a, ask me questions once a month or whatever, you know? Because that's just like stupid. That's just stupid. <laughs> that's just. That's like. A, that's a nothing. I have some like Patreons that I'm a part of, and like the lower tiers. You know, that's kind of what you get. You kind of get like a special behind the scenes walkthrough or. That's not, a, that's, that's boring. For like filmmaking, it's boring. It's boring. Know. Like, what do you think? It's me in my underwear sitting at the computer, like click, click, clicking on things. <laughs> like, that's, that's you're going to get like hot shots of me sitting in my underwear, clicking on, on Premiere. <laughs> at least you look good. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's not worth, that's not worth $5 a month or whatever that. It would be. Mm. Depends on how stylistic you made it. My underwear shots? Yeah. Yeah. You turn it into a whole side art project. Side you art were a photographer at one point in time. I was life. a photographer at one point. <laughs> I'll draw a painting of myself in my underwear once a month. No. No, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. I don't know. Because I feel like when you're a podcaster, it's like you do extra episodes for Patreon only. Right? It seems like, you know, there's like a more obvious thing for me. I just, I don't see anything that wouldn't just be like, I don't want to do something superficial. Like I want people to feel like this is worth it. This is worth their money, right? Um, and I can't think. I just can't think of anything that w- that uh-huh. would be significant enough. I so, have ideas. You have ideas. Of course, I always have ideas. How? What? <laughs> What's your idea? <laughs> well, I always had. So I had this idea for Eddie Glum, and I still want you to do it. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's not really a Patreon. Thing. What was that? What Maybe was you could turn it into a Patreon idea. Okay. So if you guys ever watch, well, don't give it away. Don't want to. You're ever gonna do it? You're no, because gonna... well, you'd have to spoil the movie. To no, I won't. I won't okay. spoil the movie. So my idea was, um, so the idea. I mean, you could say first. Why don't you give the premise of Eddie Glum? No, basic without telling anybody what it's about. It's a horror movie. So, you've told people more than that. You had um, like you, you used a... to have a two-liner. Okay, yeah, okay. So the elevator pitch would be a documentarian tries to catalog the life of a disturbed man um, while they both try to, living alone in an abandoned suburb while they both try to survive the apocalypse. Yes. Basically, it's the apocalypse. A filmmaker comes upon a disturbed man living alone in in the middle of a suburb in the middle of the end of the world and they try to survive and he documents the man's life. Yes. And that's the basic premise. Right, right. So the character of Eddie Glum is a very interesting character. And we used a lot of grainy 
it's black and white and it's very grainy in the way it's shot. And since it's sort of documentary, it's like a lot of shots just talking to one person most of the time. I had this idea of doing a YouTube series or maybe a short series of the character of Eddie Glum talking to a YouTube audience and you might may or may not know you could just stumble onto this character never watching the movie mm-hmm. and wonder is this guy legit is this a real character and slowly as it progresses over time maybe a 6 or 8 episode series and i've seen other like film people do this and things like twitter yeah, yeah. and it's like it it you start off wondering if it's le- if it's legit and it slowly devolves into crazy yep. and you realize oh crap what am i watching but i'm completely sucked in i had this idea of having like a teaser parallel series maybe parallel universing the actual film to create give some, some tension spoilers. for it give us some spoilers what a little spoiler spoilery what? what did i do i didn't <laughs> do any to- well I, whatever it is i didn't um, do anything um yeah, no, I think it's a great I think it's a great marketing idea. I don't know if a patron would do it though. Like I don't know why someone would pay for that though. Hmm. Um here's an idea. We will do a Patreon only D D games where we record our four hour long D D games and we release them on Patreon. You know only. Because that's what that's what um because we're both big D D heads and yes. that's what there are people who do that. That's like what um what um um nerd poker, the Brian Pussain he uh-huh. has, he, has, he he does that. Yeah. yeah. Though it's completely unrelated. The thing with that though is it's completely unrelated to filmmaking. It's just we would just do it because we wanted to. But no, exactly. And I mean that goes I'm back that. to the. I know that's kind of where your uh, your thought process is on the side is the D and D, and that's why we did the whole D and D episode. I want to Twitch stream it. I know. That's what I want to do. I want to get a Twitch stream. I'm curious about what you could do with Twitch from a narrative storytelling component. I am very curious about yeah. that. I think that there's I think that you could do just about anything in any medium these days yeah. and it would be really cool to see somebody do something with that medium that would be completely unexpected and a narrative form and have it be a surprise in that way. Yeah. That would be very interesting. That would be. And by the way, our friends uh we have some friends that are about to open up their own Twitch stream and get into D&D. Oh, who? The John. He's going to do his own I D&D. I just saw his announcement. Yeah. Oh, he's for doing, quarter he's, munchers, he's doing like a like a whole thing. D and D stream. Uh huh. He, really? he just announced that. Really? Yeah, I just saw. Who today. is he DMing? I don't know. I'll have to talk to him. This is completely oh. outside of the realm of that. Oh, I yes. want. I want to be part of that. I want to like be a guest star on that. <laughs> I know. Well, maybe oh, it's completely outside of this realm. Although we did do a art D and D episode. Yeah. I keep wanting to figure out a way to bring those guys. I really want to do a D and D. Twitch. I really want it. Like that's like that's like my dream with our D and D games right now is getting consistent enough that we can do a. I know. Eventually, do a, a Twitch stream. I re- that's something I really. really He's want done to do. a couple of other hints at projects he wants to do, where if he actually does them, I desperately would want to yeah. interview him on those. He's been. Twi- <laughs> he would be a great guy because he's been doing a lot of. Um, he's been streaming for a while now quarter, quarter munchers right and he's also a very talented musician and yeah. i would and i know he's got a couple ideas in his head about things he wants to do with his music oh, as well and i would like to talk to him about some of that I stuff i know he played D. i know he, he said it, he hadn't played in a long time his, and that is going to be something that he's about to start mm. I, he just came out with a video today on it all on to YouTube. watch it 
Yeah, so John is a guy who went to college with, and he's run a um, Let's Play um, commentary, video game commentary show on, like, classic video games mostly, like Mega Man, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, he's been doing that for, like, a while now on YouTube um, and, and Twitch streaming. I didn't I didn't realize he was getting back into, uh, into D&D. I just saw it, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm glad to hear That makes me really happy to hear that. I know. That's really cool. Oh, I, lo- oh, yeah, yeah. I, I love that guy. I'm so yeah. I, I'm so excited to see. I'm like, really I don't, happy to hear I don't that. play games that much um, because I'm so busy with this kind of stuff. Yeah. But I always keep tabs on what they're doing because I think it's really, really cool. Yeah, you should totally interview them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see what- You beat what- me to it. You beat me to the punch. I know. I saw He's that and I was just like, oh, you- <laughs> <laughs> you're like salivating i could just I see am. you like jumping up and down like, well ah! the thing with it though is you have to get everyone else you have to get everyone else on board it's not me i would have been doing it already it's the uh you have to get your I players would do it. and you would do it but we haven't had consistent players because our mm-hmm. our one game um we'll, we'll meet like once every three months or something <laughs> it's like ridiculous right now how un- disorganized people are but then we have our friend uh dave who yeah, uh, yeah, just yeah. moved in now that looks like it's gonna be a more consistent game so maybe yeah. maybe we can do something well, i think i think we are dave do for another D D episode eventually yeah. maybe as a filler point maybe especially as we get we closer so into much. i know it's and it, hard not to talk about and when we get closer especially into the holidays um uh we will probably end up talking yeah. about it a little bit more but so, what no it's funny so my day job is i work in seo search engine optimization and there are these um key figures in, in the seo community who have been like kind of you know, leaders of SEO for, for years. And they've all this last year gotten into D and D. So like my two worlds of my, my Twitter stream of like the SEO people and like the D and D people have now like merged and like, they're all like, I think that's hilarious. Yeah. Like one of the people you get tips from, she, she was like tweeting things the other day about how, like, if you don't go pew, 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 are you even, are you even really casting magic missile? Like, yeah, I'm like and I thought like, oh, is this a D&D player? I so I retweeted it. I was like, oh no, that's like an SEO person I've been following for like eight years. This is the thing yeah. that I find hilarious about this is that like, so it's become really cool to be into D&D now and to be like, and to just be a complete nerd and you can be out there and be famous and be like amazing. But it's like, I still know so many people who are closet artists and yep. it's like, eventually it's all going to be out there in yep. this social space where everybody, no matter what you're making, whether it's D and D or you're creating, yeah. I don't know if you've got some sort of band that you, that you've been working on on the side, all of it's going to come to the surface eventually. And we will hopefully all be accepting each other for who we are. Yep. in the future we are so off the topic right now i know well that's, that's why i'm trying to bring it back to art <laughs> yes that's why i'm back bringing it filmmaking. back i'm bringing it back but um i mean that that cover there, there's so many things we can get into with the filmmaking and i want to do different episodes to do deep dives on mm-hmm. certain aspects of this this episode was really to talk about um on a high level what what the overall experience is, where the muse is, some of the some of the hurdles that you've bumped into yeah. over time, and some of your passions and where you get like your inspirations from. Yep. But I really want to talk more on other episodes about what what it's like to be on set and yep. how and and getting prepared for that and yep. the, and how you have to adapt for things, how you find actors, how yep. you how how you manage the logistics of it and adapt as things uh change on set i want to get into all of that on yep. separate episodes okay, for sure my, yeah. my overarching advice is you kill it with mosquito bites oh. <laughs> keep watering the plant you keep watering the plant you keep you keep uh 
um, yeah, you you play off. You, it's like <laughs> when Alge get a game is said, it's like it's like eating an airplane. You do it one little bite at a time. Yeah. <laughs> you don't try to eat the whole airplane at once. Yeah. Like that one guy I'm, I'm referencing yeah, yeah, yeah. this that like one French guy who would eat like airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> French the guy. <laughs> there was like this guy who was famous for he would slowly eat giant objects, but like it would take him like years, and he just kind of scrape off a little bit at a time, scrape a little bit at a time, and just like and like you know, interesting swallow analogy. it, and eventually he would have like digested and passed through like an entire airplane. I think that's like anything though, but it's a very strange and yet graphic yep. idea. That reminds me of like a Shel Silverstein yep. <laughs> story or something. The guy lived to a ripe old age too, I think. Who did? The guy who did that. Just I was reading an article about him. Because you'd think a guy like that would have died young, right? <laughs> but no, you lived to be like 90 or something. You lived to be like really old. Must be the minerals or something. Yeah. I don't know. You'd think eating an entire airplane like on a regular basis would like do something to your body, <laughs> something negative to your body. But Have apparently- you- Apparently, it only strengthened him. <laughs> I would watch a documentary about a man who just eats airplanes. But anyway, I think that that is going to conclude episode nine. And I w- know this will not be the last that we hear from Chunkle Freaky. Yep. And we're just at the, the Chain Film Festival. So a big thank you to those guys. And we're going to be at the Newark International Film Festival um september 6th to 9th i don't know what day we're screening on yet but we will be there we'll do this an update our third our third year is our fourth year in a row at the chain film festival and the third year in a row at uh newark film festival and they've both been enormously supportive um supporters <laughs> of <laughs> mine and i am eternally thankful to them for being such wonderful um which one old people, but their film festival you should absolutely check out if you're interested in seeing really unique movies that you don't get to see at other film festivals very often or yeah, of, you know, particularly yeah, both of them, yeah. yeah. Chain Chain Film Festival and the Newark International Film Festival. Both yeah. of them you, you, you see really unique stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I mean you obviously I will be promoting a lot of this stuff on social media, so if you're following all of the Tizzy Wire handles, just keep an eye out yeah. for that because we'll keep you guys posted if you want to come and see any of chunkle freaky yep. stuff and if i'm going to be there i'll certainly let you guys know because then we can certainly talk tizzy as well but you I'm should get the to... guys from chain film festival to do your eddie glum podcast because they they uh that would be fun they gave me an award last year for it that would be fun yeah. i have so many ideas <laughs> you're giving me so many great ideas for that episode because i really 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 do want to talk about it yeah. and i was thinking all sorts of different ways uh, oh, i'll get to that one on another day for now, Mr. Charles. Yes. Thank you. This is this is a good interview. Thank you. Oh, of course. I wanted to bring you're, you in. You're a good interviewer. Oh, when, when did you become a good interviewer? Oh. Who's a good interviewer? Thank you. Joe's is a good interviewer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> what? Me and Mickey went and got coffee today, and there were corgis. <gasps> there are two really I cute I saw corgis. that there is a meetup the- group about... It's it's like a whole New York City quirky meetup group. I actually was <gasps> looking this up today, and we got to pet them. And I but was the like, lady wouldn't tell us their names. So I kept asking what their names were, and she wouldn't say. She just kept laughing when I asked. So they might be secret agents or something. Well, I was telling you, there's a like whole freaking convention happening in New York about corgis. And I was going to tell you about it. Apparently, you already know. Oh, that I don't know. I'm sorry. That's what I was trying to say. I'm sorry. I spaced out because I was so I was thinking about the corgis. I pet <laughs> it's today. A cor- it's like a whole corgi thing happening this wow. weekend. 
I yes. love corgis. That's why we're talking about this. We don't actually it's own any dogs. Non sequitur. Yeah, we own two cats, but I really want a dog. But we don't have um, we don't have the lifestyle for one at all. So we are doing the responsible thing, just owning uh, cats who you know are ambivalent about our existence. <laughs> <laughs> Except when we're making podcasts and they like to chime in. You yeah. probably heard them a couple of times, including when they want one of them almost woke up our daughter. Yeah. So um, anyway, with that. Mr. Charles, do you have anything else? Um, I know. I mean, the main thing would just be if you want to know about Trunkle Freaky, go to trunklefreaky.com, facebook.com slash trunklefreaky, at trunklefreaky, at Instagram and Twitter. If you want to follow my personal Instagram, uh, uh, it's at Dasagad. That's D-A-S-E-G-A-D. Also, Twitter, at Dasagad. Um, I'm not really that active on Twitter. As a heads up, I'm mostly like an Instagram guy. Yeah. Um, and um, you can check out Eddie Glum, which is the movie we've been talking about a lot on Amazon Video, um, or Vimeo is uh, out on Vimeo also. Um, Highly recommended, especially before we do the discussion. Yeah. If you don't want it spoiled, I have a feeling we will be spoiling a lot in that episode yeah. when we come around to it. But anyway, you should get Hope Stamper down to talk about Eddie Glum. Hope Stamper. Hope Stamper, the lead actress in Eddie Glum. Uh, point taken. Yep. I will have to discuss that with her and yep. see if she'd be up for it. That. And then before we release Portal Man, you can talk, which is the new movie, but that's probably not going to come out for a couple months yet. We'll do, I'll, I'll do a separate plug for Portal Man as we get this a little closer. podcast completely should be dedicated to me all the time, is what I think. Mm. You should only be talking about my movies. What if you just went through one, all each of my movies and just talked, had people come in and talk about how wonderful they were? I can just sit there and like... Bask in the glow? Just bask in, wow. bask in it. I had a plan. <laughs> I had a dream. <laughs> I had a dream that this podcast could also help with the films. Along I, with I appreciate that. Helping, helping so many other people because that's honestly... <sighs> Eventually, I'm going to do a large... It's tough. Yeah. It's tough out there. It's tough out there. And we need to all be helping each other as artists. And I think, again, we are all going through similar stuff, even no matter what medium we're using. I just feel like I'm hearing the same stories over and over again and finding that commonality between everybody. And it'll be so... It'll be so much fun to just get people together and talking about that. I want to do panels. So when you're talking about Eddie Glum and you're talking about a panel on yeah. that, I'm like, oh... Uh, oh, the last the last podcast brought that up about doing a panel on art school. I'm like, oh, yes, that's a great idea. Yeah. I want to do that oh, so much. Oh, my God. But anyway. Because you went to art school, technically. I did. And I'm going to get into that. But I'm going to do that as part of that series. I'm going to document as a whole separate series. Mm. Yes. I think to end this podcast, we should end it like last time. Well, how did we end it last you, time? you uh, D&D me. Oh, God. You're going to ask me to D&D D &D right off. now? D and D and D off. Yep. Is that what you just called it? You D and D me off. Mm. <laughs> you, you seem like you really don't want to do that. I am totally like I've been in film mode. This isn't a D and D episode. Uh, I know. All this right. is D and D. Can we turn? Can we change it I've, to a D and D episode? I've got a better idea. Uh, how about you do the voice, Betty Glum? Oh. How about you do? How about you sign off? It's a real nice podcast you got here. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, out of, I'm out of practice by like three years right now. Yeah.
You got it? Um, you got it? Wow. Gotta go. Ball hair over. <laughs> Some, something like that. See, I put you on the spot this time. Over. Yeah? What do you want over me? Oh, God. That would be really funny to just do an episode where we just talk to Eddie. There you go. There you go. Oh my God. Are you giving me ideas? Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I want to sign off this episode before we go on too many more tangents today. I <laughs> I hope you enjoyed hearing how we muse in this household. When are you interviewing Luke? He is I coming. I want you to interview Luke. He is coming. I am learning that, that doing interviews, unless you live in this household, is a very complicated process. And I'm going to get better at it. But it's going to take some time for me to schedule, and I want to do it properly and not lose any more audio along the way. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. But yes, I have quite a few other people that want to be uh, part of this podcast, and I'm super excited to have them on. It's just a matter of making sure that I know what I'm doing first. So anyway, I'm going to take that as signing off. Check out Chunkle Freaky's stuff at Chunklefreaky.com. 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 Yep. Not plural. Chunklefreaky.com. Nope. Yeah, look it up all of those movies, and I'll certainly be sharing more of our projects along the way. Um, but anyway, I want to sign off this episode nine. Thank you for tuning in and hearing us in our stream of consciousness. I hope some of this was helpful for you guys. If you guys are thinking about getting into film, we will do updates later on, and I'll keep you guys posted as we get closer to the next screenings that are coming up. Anyway, after all, uh, this is Josie signing off, saying take care, y'all. You've been listening to the Tizzy Wire podcast. New episodes out weekly. You can find out more about us or the artists that have been on the show at tizzywire.com. Or you can reach out via social media at Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at all of the TizzyWire handles. Or you can reach out to us via email at tizzywire at gmail.com if you want to be on the show or have any questions about the show. Anyway, thank you so much, and I hope you tune in next week.